Welcome to Hemispheres. It's August 22nd of 2023. I'm Shannon Young. Elected officials, university leaders, and community organizers were at CU Boulder's Renee Crown Wellness Institute yesterday to discuss gun violence prevention measures, including the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Attending the invitation-only event were U.S. House Democratic Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Colorado Congressman Joe Neguse, CU Chancellor Philip DeStefano, Front Range Community College President Dr. Colleen Simpson, and lead organizers of gun violence prevention groups, among others. This evening on Hemispheres, will air their discussion in full. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank you for joining us at the Renee Crown Wellness Institute. I'm Phil DiStefano. I'm chancellor here at the University of Colorado Boulder. And first of all, I'd like to recognize and welcome Congressman Neguse and also Leader Jeffries, who have taken the time out of their busy schedule to visit us here in Boulder. I would also like to welcome uh, my good friend and boss, CU President Todd Solomon, uh, as well as uh, Dr. Rabaka, Raylan Rabaka, uh, the founder and director of the CU Boulder Center for African and African American Studies. And Dr. Rabaka will be moderating today's panel discussion. We're also honored to have with us Dr. Beverly uh, Kingston, the director of the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence. Thank you, Beverly, for being here, which is part of the Institute for Behavioral Science. Uh, and finally, I want to recognize uh, Dr. Sona Demijan and Dr. Julia uh, Zagarelli from the Renee Crown Wellness Institute, who are hosting today's event. Thank you both. Um, I'm so grateful that we have the Crown Institute here at Boulder, and I'm always impressed by and appreciative of the important work done here. As you may have noticed, this today's the start of move-in week when we happily greet our students back to campus, and it's one of my favorite times of the year. And as with any new academic year comes a renewed focus on ensuring the success of our students during their time here at CU and beyond. And a pillar of our efforts is to ensure student success is a significant focus on health and wellness and the topic of gun violence at today's roundtable is timely and important because gun violence affects the lives and mental health of so many young people and their families. So I'm looking forward to the upcoming conversation. And with that, I'll turn it over to President Solomon. Thank you very much, Chancellor. And it's great to see everyone today. So the, the best thing about my comments will be their brevity. So that'll be good. But I just wanted to, to truly thank all of you for being here today. And like the Chancellor said, it's a really, really exciting time for us on the campus wonderful time with move-in day, and then it's made especially special by you all joining us. So thank you to the leader. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you to Regent Nagoose for being here. <laughs> and, um, and I also want to introduce uh, one, of, one of my bosses who's here to get today, Regent Wanda James. So thank you for being here today. So. So. Uh, we're incredibly grateful for for your support, support, Congressman Neguse, uh, in 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 our nation's capital and all that you do for us every day. And we are incredibly grateful that that for for you, uh, Mr. Leader, for, for being here today and for for spending some time with us. So thank you very much. And with that, I'm going to pass it off to my good friend, Dr. Raylan Rubaka, and he'll share a few comments. Good afternoon, everybody. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a really, really special, special event for us to have uh, Leader Jeffries here with us and also our very own Congressman Joe Neguse. Um, this, is, this is a tough topic. This is a really, really tough topic. And this is uh, something that has impacted Boulder as well. So it's not just something national. You know how they talk about the Boulder bubble. Um, and this is bringing it home, this conversation. Like the president, my dear friend and brother, uh, I'll keep my comments briefly, but I just want to say how much it means to us that uh, Leader Jeffries is here with us, that Congressman Nagus is here with us to take on a tough topic, but to have some high quality conversation about it, that this reflects the best, if you will, of American democracy. We're supposed to be able to talk about things that are really near and dear to our hearts. And so without further ado, I would like to turn it over to Congressman Nagus. Well, thank you. Let's give a round of applause for First and foremost, thank you to Dr. Rabaka for serving in this capacity, the leadership uh, that you have shown with the Center for uh, African and, and African American Studies, uh, new, of course, on the Boulder campus, making an impact already uh, in just this short, what, year and a half? How long has it been? Two years. Two years now. So a two-year anniversary. We're very, very grateful to you, to Chancellor Stefano, to President Solomon for the work that they're doing here at the university and their willingness to host us, particularly on move-in day when there were some other things happening on the campus uh, and being very nimble and flexible. We're very, very grateful to the wonderful panelists uh, whom you all will hear from in a moment as we engage in some Q&A. Uh, of course, law enforcement, our district attorney, and many of the, the activists, uh, you know, Don and, and others who have been working uh, in this space for some time. To the survivors who are here, of course, Tom Mauser, who is a dear friend and whom we all know so well, who has been a champion for gun violence prevention um, ever since the tragic uh, death of his son uh, in Columbine High School. And we're very grateful to him for being here. Uh, as the leader, Jeffries will remember, he met him last when he was a guest of ours at the State of the Union just a few short years ago. Uh, there are many members in the audience here uh, who are also survivors of gun violence, the Liker family uh, that have joined us, uh, and we're very grateful to Margie and, and others, um, and continue to mourn Terry's passing, uh, as well as Ellen Mahoney, who I know is here as well. And we continue to lift up Kevin's uh, memory, and we're grateful to them for converting their anguish into action and doing everything we can to solve what truly is an epidemic, which is gun violence. It's a scourge that's impacting every community in our country. Of course, it hits home close here in Boulder, in Aurora, in Littleton, every corner of our state and every corner of the country. Uh, I am grateful that we have a leader of the Democratic Caucus in the United States House of Representatives who has made gun violence prevention really a defining part of his service in the United States House of Representatives. He has served for over a decade representing uh, the Brooklyn Borough. So Brooklyn is in the house for those who might be from, I don't know, Finn, but um, Brooklyn and Boulder uh, merging together today. Um, he, of course, uh, has been a champion on the Judiciary Committee, uh, and I've gotten a chance to see firsthand his eloquence and the way in which he articulates uh, the issues that define our generation. You all, of course, know that. He needs no introduction. Anyone who watched his ABCs of Democracy when he was uh, selected as the leader of the House Democratic Caucus knows that well. He is the highest ranking black American in the United States Congress. He is the first black American to lead 
a major political party in the Congress since the dawn of our republic. And uh, it's something that I take great pride in. So we, as you, as you can imagine, 213 members of Congress, coast to coast, every wonderful part of our country, uh, Leader Jeffries is called upon to travel to every single one of those areas uh, to visit members like, uh, like myself. And we're just so grateful that he decided to spend some time here in Boulder, Colorado. So without further ado, Leader Jeffries. Good afternoon, everyone. An honor and a privilege uh, to be here with you, certainly to my good friend, Joe Neguse, Dr. Rubaka, uh, Mr. President, Mr. Chancellor, uh, all of the distinguished panelists, certainly to the survivors, the advocates, uh, each and every one of you. We're thankful for your presence, thankful for your work, uh, particularly thankful to survivors and to the advocates for you know, turning anguish uh, into action, pain into progress, tragedy. Uh, into triumph. As it relates to um, this uniquely American existential gun violence epidemic uh, that we confront, certainly thankful to my good friend uh, Joe Neguse, and I use that phrase, uh, good friend, uh, in the real sense of the word, not the congressional sense of the Watch word. Out. <laughs> Watch out now. Watch out. You may get in trouble. Y'all know from time to time. You, you, you see members of Congress use the phrase, my good friend, <laughs> the distinguished gentleman from the great state of California, or my good friend, the distinguished gentle lady from the great state of Florida. I know I'm amongst friends here, so let me let y'all in on a secret. Most of the time you hear members of Congress use the phrase, my good friend. We don't mean it, y'all. <laughs> you gonna get in trouble, man. We don't mean it. But with Joe Neguse, uh, I absolutely mean it in the real sense of the word, and he's been not just a good friend to me, a dynamic leader, uh, but a good friend to the House Democratic Caucus, to the Congress, the country, the Constitution, the people of Colorado, the communities that he is privileged uh, to represent. He is not just a rising star in the Congress, he is a superstar in the Congress. Uh, and we we'll appreciate all right, Joe. All right. Zona Goose. Now, I know that um, we've got a distinguished uh, panel that we want to hear from. And so uh, let me just make this very brief top-line observation that um, we believe as House Democrats, as members of Congress, that we have to find a path forward to confront the gun violence epidemic uh, that has hit you here in this community hard and communities all across the country hard with the fierce urgency of now in the most comprehensive way. And we, it's a national problem, and so we need a national solution. Uh, a national solution that is going to involve a variety of different things that we can talk about, but certainly universal criminal background check legislation right at the top of the list, supported by the overwhelming majority of the American people, including a majority of gun owners and NRA members. So there's absolutely no reason why Congress can't find the will to get this over the finish line. We also believe that, um, that there are weapons of war that have no place in a civilized society. Come on, Come on. And these are weapons of war that are not used to hunt deer. They are used to hunt 
human beings and hunt and shred children in classrooms and everyday Americans as they're going about their lives. And so, you know, we're committed with the leadership of Congressman Nagus to do what is necessary to advance the ball. We will not give up. Uh, we will not give in uh, until we accomplish these objectives and can make America a safe place for everyone free of the scourge of gun violence. Thank you for your presence. Right now, we would like to open it up for um, some of the questions from the very distinguished um, uh, panelists here. And we'd like to start with Dr. Kingston. Dr. Beverly Kingston is the director of the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence at the University of Colorado's Institute for Behavioral Science. The panel moderator is Dr. Raylan Rabaka of the university's Center for African and African American Studies. So the first question is, looking more broadly and based on your work, what do you think is the root cause of gun violence in America? Well, thank you for that giant question. Yeah. <laughs> about, dissertation question. Yeah, dissertation question in about three minutes to answer it. But I, I really do think that there's some answers to that. And this is the, the area that our center focuses on and studies. And But before I answer, I do want to say a giant thank you to the university, to Congressman Naguz, to Leader Jeffries, and to Dr. Rebecca, thank you so much for your leadership and for all the efforts of bringing this panel together. And um, thank you, Sona, for this beautiful space <laughs> as well. Um, okay, so I'm going to, to give it my best here. Um, what we do in our centers, we use the, the metaphor of an, ice, of an iceberg to talk about and help us understand those root causes of gun violence. And when you think about that iceberg, at the tip is gun violence. It's the homicides, the suicides, um, the mass shootings, the things that make the nightly news. And below that, the, the tip, that's where we see bullying, we see physical fights, we see, um, unfortunately, many mental health concerns. I'm alarmed at the numbers that have recently come out of the CDC. 25% of our high school young people have seriously considered suicide in the past year. That is up from a very high number in 2019 when it was 19%. It's huge, and I'll just have to say this, it's worse for girls and worse, even worse for black girls. And so we just have to know that that's some of our context. But then we can go even deeper underwater. We can look at those, those social structural forces, those broader forces like poverty, racism, and collective trauma that then fuel the violence. And so that that's, helps kind of understand the structure, but I want to add a little bit to it. So in society today, as we all know, we're experiencing these unprecedented social stressors. And what we need, and I think you're alluding to it in your opening comments, is we need to have an infrastructure, a prevention infrastructure to, to just like we have roads and bridges. So just like we have roads and we have bridges and we pay for those services and th that work, we need an infrastructure of prevention and an infrastructure of intervention. And by that I mean social emotional learning, 
for kids, you know, from preschool throughout. We need tested and effective intervention programs um, for those young people that are at risk and those that are already exhibiting violent behavior. We have things that work and we can put those into place. The last thing I wanna say about this is that when we have this, well, what I'll, two things I wanna say. One is that this prevention infrastructure, we, we have pieces of it. I mean, thankfully, there have been a lot of federal grants, but they're grant funded. It's not sustained like many of, much of the infrastructure of society. And that's why I think we see these up and down waves. We need to think about this as something that we build into our society. We when we have this lack of infrastructure, combined with the magnitude of firearms that are easily accessible on the streets, it fuels the violence, the gun violence that we're seeing in America today. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. This next question is for Tom and Eileen. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, you all have been working on legislation in Colorado for a long time. What do we need to do more of in Colorado to prevent gun violence? And I, I know that I don't see Tom. Hey, hey Tom, hey, how you doing? I can't, my glasses are not clean. That's a, I'm not mad, don't, okay, okay, here we go. And so Tom, uh, Tom, it says, uh, and Tom, you both have been, you both have had very personal experiences with gun violence, as have many others in this room. Can you share more about your experiences and how that has sparked your activism. Eileen McCarran is the president of Colorado Ceasefire Legislative Action. Um, you know, as I was driving up here, I looked at the I looked at the um, the flat irons and remembered back in the '80s when I was in a group that we we didn't hike, we climbed up one of them, and I realized what we're dealing with here is a much more difficult and harder journey than that one was. Um, but we have done a lot here in Colorado. Ceasefire has existed since the year 2000, and we've enacted 23 laws in the state and stopped uh, over 100 bad bills from, from loosening gun laws. Major ones we've done are we have universal background checks, a large capacity magazine ban, an extreme risk protection order, um, and we prohibit violent misdemeanants from purchasing firearms. And this year we enacted a waiting period, minimum age of 21 for all guns and um, banned ghost guns. There's many others that I didn't list. There's still much to do. Gun dealer licensing is something that we really, really wanna do this next year. Um, gun owners permit to purchase. It's been very, very effective in states where it's um, enacted. And of course, as you mentioned, an assault weapons ban. Unfortunately, we used to rail about the federal government, meaning Congress, unable to pass legislation. But really, our biggest stopping block, which is still Congress, but is the Supreme Court. And um, with the Bruin decision in the current Supreme Court, we're finding that some of the laws we've just enacted in the last few years are being held up for lawsuits. So this is, uh, for the, with regard to the Supreme Court, uh, we've got to maybe change some minds on the court, which is a really difficult process, and change people. 
on that court, which calls every single one of us to activism and to never take our democracy for granted. We need to be out there on the hustings, getting different people in office so there are different people on that court. Tom Mouser has been fighting for gun safety control since his son Daniel was murdered at Columbine High School in April of 1999. Well, in terms of what, what sparked uh, my activism, uh, two main things. Once I did become an activist, a lot of it was meeting other people who were victims of gun violence. Um, and that really sparked it, but especially because I realized there were many people who felt they couldn't speak out on, on the issue for any number of reasons. I realized because I was in a high-profile shooting, I, I had a, an opportunity, I had a soapbox that many other people who were in a, a singular uh, shooting may not have. Um, but certainly the main thing for me was the fact that just two weeks before Columbine, my son Daniel asked me a question, Dad, did you know there were loopholes in the Brady Bill? Two weeks later, he was killed with a gun that was purchased through a loophole in the Brady Bell. So that really, that, that's what's driven my activism. And, you know, we have done a number of things in Colorado because we can't get things done at the federal level. We've done a lot at the state level, but there are certain things that we, we have to rely on the federal government to do. And certainly it was, it was great that we had the Bipartisan Safe Communities Act passed, uh, that, 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 that really helpful. But we still have those loopholes and this particular, the universal background check. It, it, you know, we, we closed the, the gunshot loophole and the, the, the private sale loophole in Colorado. But Colorado is surrounded by five states that don't have those laws. So I think it's really important um, to take that next step. We have got to close uh, the, those loopholes. We, we've got to have universal background checks. It is just shameful that we have over 90% of Americans supporting that, and yet we can't get it through Congress. Does Congress represent the people or not? That's really, really what it, what it comes down to. So I, I really hope that, that in this election cycle, this upcoming election cycle, that we, put that, that we put that issue to the people. Really, really push the issue. Are you for loopholes and easy access and no background check? Or do you believe in having background checks? You know, I would also like to see an assault weapons ban, but frankly, that's a tough climb. It's even a tough climb in Colorado. It's not gonna happen in, in, in Washington if you can't even tackle something as simple as universal background checks. So really put it, put it to, to, uh, to the public to put pressure on, on uh, anybody who's running for election. Do you believe in easy access or do you think that there should be a background check for, for each gun sale? Thank you. Thank you for that, Eileen and Tom. If you're just tuning in, we are sharing a community conversation about gun violence prevention that took place yesterday at CU Boulder's Renee Crown Wellness Institute. Up next, moderator Dr. Raylan Rabaka poses a question to Dr. Colleen Simpson, president of Front Range Community College. Next, we come to my dear um, sister and friend, um, Dr. Simpson. As a president of a higher education institution, 
What are your main concern about campuses? Thank you all, and it's a pleasure to be here um, this afternoon. You know, as we think about our higher education institutions, one of the things we focus on around this incident is really about protection. And, you know, for us, especially when you have multiple campuses, we're talking about protecting human life. And our human life for us is both our students, our faculty, our instructors, our employees, anybody who's visiting our campus, that becomes our focal point. And then the other thing we have to also think about is our campus operations. What does this mean for us when an incident like this happens on our campus? How do we ensure that we are communicating and managing and, and sharing out what needs to be uh, communicated around this incident? And then finally, it's so important, and we all have these, whether it's in higher education or you're in the K-12, we all talk about our emergency preparedness plans. But I always say to everyone, that's just a book. How do you operationalize this work? How do you ensure that you're able to be nimble and pivot and make the right decisions when an incident happens on your campus? And I'll close out by saying that when we think about this work, it is going to be a multifaceted approach. We have to think about what legislative actions we need to put in place. We also need to think about crisis preparation. We have to also think about how do we support the mental health? That is one of the issues we don't talk about as it relates to this, these type of incidents. And mental health is not only after, but it's also before. And so how do we ensure that every, for us on our campuses, we think about every student, we think about every employee that's on our campus and say, our goal is to make sure we are protecting and allowing them to be in a safe environment. All right, so here we transition from higher education to K through 12. And so I'd like to ask this question to uh, Shauna with DeAngelis. Shauna Fritzler is the executive director of the DeAngelis Center. The foundation is based in Golden. According to its website, the Frank DeAngelis Center for Community Safety was created to support law enforcement and school safety training and tactics for mass casualty tragedies. As students are starting to go back to school, what are your goals for increasing safety on K-12 campuses? What have you found to be the most effective to prevent gun violence in schools? Uh, this is such a broad, broad and big question. Yes. So uh, with the Jeff Cote Angels Foundation, we actually serve um, from daycare, preschool, all the way up to higher education and private businesses as well. Um, the biggest problem um, I have to make sure that you say is everyone's doing it differently. Mm. Um, and so what we do with the foundation, yes, <laughs> what we do with the foundation is make sure that our trainings are available to every one of these entities for uh, free or as low cost as possible. Uh, shout out to CU. Your students have had me out doing suicide prevention trainings multiple times, um, and I'm coming again in a couple months, so love those kids. Um, I, there's so many things that need to be done. And right now we need to focus on uh, prevention and preparedness. 
we don't want to have to get to the space where we're working on recovery so or response. If we can focus on those two things, those are the most important. But we also need to standardize this work so that everybody is doing threat assessment and threat management the same and following best practices. School safety has also become a $3 billion a year industry where there are companies that are making money off of this. We set up the foundation because we did not want to charge people for the available services that they need. Um, I also have to make sure that everybody understands too, we're asking schools to do a lot um, beyond just education. Uh, and in particular here in, in Colorado and, and other states, we have not given the resources to our schools to take care of this for a very long time. Um, we don't have adequate resources and we haven't for so many years. That's a big hindrance when you're looking at mental health professionals, behavioral health professionals who won't stay in our school systems. So because we can't pay them adequately and they do still also have families to take care of or your law enforcement, your first responders. We also do not pay them or fund them adequately. So the resources are limited. Um, I love that we've gotten grants, both state and federal, and I'm so appreciative of that and your support for that, Congressman Naguz, you and Congressman Perlmutter and Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Petter Petterson, so have been just wonderful supporting us. Um, but we can't just do grant studies. We have to do actual services, and that's one of those barriers that I find on a regular basis. I can provide the services with actual first responders who have responded to crisis incidents. Um, we have this problem also in the safety industry where you know people say there's no ego in school safety. Unfortunately, there's too much ego in school safety, and it really shouldn't be that way. We need to help each other. I, I applaud so many of these people on this panel. You are all wonderful people that I have followed for years and years, even before this work and just being a mom. Um, but we have to make sure that we fund the actual work and not studies. We have had plenty of studies. We've got to make sure that everybody has the tools and resources to be able to get what we have available to us, and that means every student, every teacher, every education staff member, including classified staff, every principal, every school safety officer, every first responder, law enforcement, fire, everyone, every college campus, everyone needs the resources. You have to give them the training. It has to be a standardized training so that people aren't making up things to teach who don't have the experience. We can do so much to prevent and to be prepared if we can standardize these processes. Um, I'm sorry, I could talk for hours and days on this. So as some of my education advocate friends in here, no. Uh, so thank you very much. I appreciate the question. I'd love to talk to anybody further too. Thank you for that. You are tuned into Hemispheres on KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. I'm Shannon Young. This evening on Hemispheres, we are broadcasting a community conversation on gun violence prevention that occurred yesterday at CU Boulder. Attending the event were elected officials like U.S. House Democratic Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Colorado Congressman Joe Neguse, academic leaders like University of Colorado President Todd Salomon and Front Range Community College President Dr. Colleen Simpson, and lead organizers of gun violence prevention groups. 
Elected officials from across Boulder County, as well as state legislators, were also in attendance. The panel discussion's moderator is Dr. Rayland Rabaka of CU's Center for African and African American Studies. All right, so now we shift the focus to everyday violence. This question is for NAACP President Portia Prescott and, uh, if time, DA Doherty. Um, gun violence happens every day and not always in the form of mass shootings. How do we address everyday gun violence? It's a, a sad, sad situation that you asked this question. Um, I'm a little late because we had a massive shooting just Saturday morning in Five Points on 2800 Welton. And so when you look at who lost their son, Lumumba, he was a, 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 an icon in our community. He helped dozens of kids. So we are currently in mourning because he lost his son less than, what, 24 hours ago. We were shut down from another event on Sunday that I had to do a press release about today at noon because there was the, the fear 20 miles from that event that there was gonna be um, retaliation shooting. So when I listened to Shauna and I'm being asked this exact question just an hour and a half ago from, I don't know, Nine News, CBS, Fox, whatever. Um, the, the, the only thing I can say is prevention. I'm a native of Colorado, uh, and my sister is here, Muriel, and we come from the bloodiest summer, 1993, of Colorado, where everybody was shot. People used to say, when does the party shut down? I guess when they start shooting, that's when it shuts down. And I grew up in Park Hill, on Harley Street, in the, in the middle of the worst gun violence history of the state of Colorado. Prevention. Last time I checked, Congressman Nagoose, we don't have any gun manufacturers sitting on 33rd and Holly. So why are there so many guns rampant in our city? Why are there so many young people acquiring guns in our city? And Dr. Rabaka, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, but I'm from here and I'm from Park Hill. And all I can say is when I grew up here, I ain't never seen nobody making no machine guns. Now we got to deal with ghost guns. Now we have to deal with parts from ghost guns. Prevention. We fought very hard to have this to be a gun violence-free summer. Uh, all of us in the community, this is a collective. This gun violence, it touches every facet of our state. It's not, it does not discriminate against color, age, party affiliation. It is an issue that we have to table the party differences and deal with as a whole collective. So if you ask me, what we are doing, we stay in prevention mode. We stay ready. We know when it was 2020 and we had the George Floyd uh, protest, we stay ready. What we were not ready for was 2800 Welton on Saturday morning. And I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Wow. This next one is for DA Doherty. Michael Doherty is the district attorney of Boulder County. The entire country has seen a spike in juvenile gun crimes 
What do you believe is the root cause of this increase and how can we work to address this issue? Well, thank you for the question, Dr. Rabaka. And I wanna thank you and Leader Jeffries as well as Representative Nagus and CU for bringing us together today. And Leader Jeffries talked about the crisis and epidemic that we continue to suffer from in this country and he's absolutely right. And having been born in Brooklyn and moving my family from Brooklyn to Boulder. There is no community immune from gun violence. And in Boulder, we know that all too well. And Representative Nagus has been a champion and an ally in fighting to prevent gun violence. In fact, I'll share with you one memory that will always stay with me. Representative Nagus invited me to meet with his student advisory group, high school students on a weekend, talk about gun violence, and I talked to them at length. And it was a great conversation. At the end of the conversation, they asked me, do you think we'll see another mass shooting in this country? And that's such a heavy feeling, kind of like the feeling we all have in this room right now. And I said, I, I can't lie to you, the answer is yes. We definitely will. And then two days later, I was speeding by this building on the way to King Supers at Table Mesa, where Kevin Mahoney, Terry Liker, and eight other people were tragically murdered. That conversation with those students, to me, highlights not only that Representative Nagus has been fighting for this since he took office, but how our young people are affected and how we all need to do more. And it's a problem that extends beyond Boulder. And that's why having local officials from the cities, county commissioners, state reps, and at the federal level here is something that gives me real hope. I know we're here today to talk about something heavy and difficult, but it's also the first time in my career as a prosecutor where I feel like we have momentum for change. And Eileen hit on some of the legislation we've seen here in the state of Colorado, and those have been hard-fought victories. So when you asked me, Dr. Rabaka, about what is it that's driving juvenile gun violence, I think Dr. Kingston did a great job talking about Absolutely. the struggles that juveniles have, that young people have. But my first question is, how are the kids getting the guns? That's really the root cause. Hello. We have Hello. shootings in Longmont over the last four weeks, all of them by teenagers. Where are they getting the guns? So it's about vigorously prosecuting gun cases. It's about fighting for legislative change. But it's also, we've tried to bridge the divide, this political divide that's so unfortunate on gun ownership. And we've been providing free gun locks and free gun safes in the community. So we just got a federal grant to give out 400 gun safes on a Saturday in September for free that we'll be doing at the Justice Center here to try to meet people in the middle. We did it in Longmont recently. We gave away 280 gun safes in two hours. Those are 280 guns that were unsecured the night before. And people were stretched on the line all the way around the parking lot. So trying to meet people where they are. And when it comes to young people recognizing that they're struggling with issues in their community, they have real fear. It's real. There's panic for them. They think it's the only way to uh, protect themselves and to get respect for themselves. And getting out in the community and doing intervention and violence interruption is really important. And also in our office, and I know at other places throughout Boulder County, we have restorative justice and diversion programs where we have the opportunity on low-level offenses to help kids get on a better track. We divert more than 50% of all kids who come into the justice system in Boulder County out of the justice system successfully. But it has to be a multi-pronged response, and I'm so grateful to the two of you for your leadership and for bringing all of us here today. So thank you. All right, and so now we've come to the last question, which is for uh, Don and Carol. Um, one of the major roadblocks in achieving meaningful gun violence reform is the lack of bipartisan support 
Are there certain policies that you have found to have bipartisan support? I guess I'll start. Don Rainfield is with Blue Rising Together, a Colorado-based nonprofit that lobbies for gun safety measures and regulation of high-potency THC. If you had asked me this question a year ago, I would have said no. But this last legislative session, we worked with Republican district attorneys and Republican mayors from across the state to find common ground on ghost guns. And it was very interesting because we also lobbied some Republicans to have conversations. And the ones in the building, there were some that actually agreed with us, but they were too afraid of the rest of their caucus to support um, the ghost guns legislation. But there were Republican DAs, actually several, and some from even the Republican DA from Colorado Springs supported our ghost guns bill because we have, our organization works on a couple of different issues. And so we've been building bridges with Republicans on other things. So when they were willing to come to the table, I think they had a level of trust with us that we would respect them, maybe not bring up the things that we know they would not agree on, and really try and find the sliver of areas that we could agree. And it really helped us come up with a better policy than we would have had if it was just democratic informed. And it really showed that there is common ground. Republicans love their children also, and they feel that same fear. And I think that so often, you know, I have lobbyists that are Republicans and Democrats, and a couple of years ago I had them over for dinner, and I realized their spouses were Republicans, and it was the first time in nine years I had Republicans at my house. And that was a learning lesson for me, that I'm not having enough conversations and trying to find where we do meet. And the other area last session that we really did find common ground was along with um, Rep Bacon, who's out here, and Rep Amable, we created and sponsored um, violence intervention funding for schools to work with the groups that are on the ground doing deep violence intervention and interruption work and mentoring with youth. And we actually had Republicans go down to the floor of the House talking about how important this was and how this is what we've wanted all along, to invest in kids in this way. So I think there is common ground, and I think when they are willing to work with us, that we should be respectful of that and welcoming instead of shaming and saying, why did it take you so long? So that's our philosophy going forward, is to find the common ground where we can. Thank you for the question, and thank you all for pulling this panel together. Carol Calicott-Belmont is a volunteer with the Colorado chapter of Moms Demand Action. I think it's worth noting when we talk about bipartisanship that voters are very bipartisan on this issue. As Tom pointed out, over 90% of voters, American, the American public, would like to see background checks. Large majorities of American voters want stronger gun laws. We want... Um, extreme, the last stat I saw was extreme risk protection orders has 86% of voter support. That's across Republican and Democratic lines. 
Um, majority support assault weapons bans, majority support high capacity magazine bans, majority 71% support a minimum legal age of 21. Um, in conversations, as moms activists, we always are open to having this conversation with any of our legislators. Um, we are finding that, especially in Colorado, we are turned away <laughs> from the door. There's a few that will talk to us. More often than not, we're turned away. We're accused of being vile tyrants. <laughs> we're accused of being fascists um, for wanting safer gun laws. So that bipartisanship is not showing up at the legislature in Colorado. Um, I will also wanna say that when, so there's obviously a lot of groups working in gun violence prevention in addition to moms. Moms started after Sandy Hook. In 2010, 25% of elected Democrats had A ratings from the NRA. Um, and they wouldn't talk about this issue. They wouldn't touch this issue. Nobody wanted to talk about gun violence. Today, no Democrat has an A rating from the NRA. The Republican side, however, has stayed steady at 94%. So it, to me, is one more area. We, has, we see bipartisanship in elected officials that are not having to make a public vote. We are not seeing that with the GOP. We will continue to have these conversations, but to me it's one more, one more area where the GOP is sadly out of step with the American public. Thank you so much for that. And so now we would like to have closing remarks from uh, Congressman Nagus and Leader Jeffries. Well, I'll be very brief uh, simply to say thank you to all the panelists for your contributions and your thoughtful observations and, and insights and certainly giving us a lot of homework uh, to think about uh, as we you know, go back to Washington for the next session of uh, the 118th Congress. I will say, and, and that last question was, was perhaps the, a, a great segue to some of the comments that uh, Leader Jeffries and I could offer because I do feel a sense of hope to uh, Michael Doherty's, our district attorney's uh, comment. We've made some progress in the last few years, and the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which you know, President Biden led on and working in partnership with House Democrats uh, and folks across the aisle in the United States Congress, made the case to the American people that it was important for us to take gun violence seriously. And a lot of folks, a lot of critics and skeptics doubted the ability of the president, again, working with congressional Democrats to be able to get bipartisan gun violence prevention legislation through the House and through the Senate and to his desk for his signature. Ultimately, he proved them wrong. And for the first time in 30 years, uh, as, uh, as Tom noted, we were able to get that bill through. As the Leader Jeffries has said, it is the first step, not the last step. And there's a lot more left for us to do. And I think building partnerships at the local, county, state, and federal level really is the only way to do it. And to that end, I know we have many folks here. Uh, we, we skipped the formal introduction uh, of part of our program, but you have uh, the mayors of, of Broomfield and Boulder and Erie. Uh, you have uh, Representative Bacon, Representative Amable, who've been leaders in the state legislature. You have county commissioners, uh, all of whom have joined us today. We're grateful to all of you as well uh, for being part of the conversation about the solutions. And I have no doubt uh, that we're gonna make progress on this in the years ahead. That is born from a number of things, of course, hope from the people in this room, but also uh, the leadership that we have in the House Democratic Caucus uh, with Leader Jeffries. So thank you all for coming, and now I'll turn it to Leader Jeffries for some final words. 
Thank you, Congressman Nagus and Dr. Rabaka, to all of the distinguished uh, panelists and elected officials and uh, leaders and activists and survivors uh, who are here. And I think both Joe and I, we took extensive uh, notes. This is very helpful as we um, process sort of the real life impacts that gun violence has in communities all across the country, as has been articulated uh, by many of you in such a powerful way, uh, as well as some of your ideas and thoughts as to how um, we can find the common ground necessary uh, to get solutions over the finish line to decisively confront this issue. I think it was Portia who mentioned prevention, which is critically uh, important as it relates to, I think, our efforts uh, across the country. Frederick Douglass once made the observation that it is easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. And I think... Um, in terms of making sure young people all across the country have opportunities to bring their natural God-given uh, talents to, to the forefront and uh, to be able to channel their abilities into constructive activities that we should make available to them. Science and technology and engineering and mathematics and athletic and dance and music uh, and all of the areas that have often been unavailable in many communities uh, all across the country. That's something that we need to lean into. Uh, in the last Congress, we were able to, in the House, and Joe Nagus championed this effort, uh, pass a $5 billion uh, bill that would allocate funds as part of our effort to break the cycle of violence. That would involve violence interruption, investing in communities, dealing with you know, the trauma, the mental illness that has been spoken about, or the anxieties, the stressors that have existed for decades but were exacerbated in the aftermath uh, of the pandemic in so many different communities. We were unsuccessful in getting that portion of the legislation, the break the cycle portion, over the finish line in the Senate, uh, but we're committed uh, to picking up where we left off. By the same token, I share... Congressman Nagus's optimism, if you think about uh, what we were able to do with respect to the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, uh, pass gun safety legislation in the Congress that no one thought possible for the first time in 30 years, and break the back of the NRA for the first time in three decades. I think Gerald was probably a better student than me, but we're both proud of our F ratings from the NRA. Um, and, and, and so, and, and we're going to continue to lean in, Mr. DA, to, you know, to that. Uh, I think what, um, you know, what, what's important is some of the steps that we've initially taken in that Safer Communities Act included some funding uh, for violence interruption efforts, much more is necessary, mm -hmm. uh, some funding uh, for you know, mental health intervention across the country and grants, and hopefully this community and other communities will be able to benefit from that, but much more uh, is necessary. And uh, I think perhaps even a more significant is that we were able to make straw purchasing and gun trafficking 
a federal crime for the first time in American history. And that should enable law enforcement uh, to be able to cut down on some of the gun trafficking that impacts states like Colorado that has enlightened gun safety laws, but surrounded, as was mentioned, by other states that are in a very different place. We, we, we suffer a similar fate in New York, California, other states, Illinois, same dynamic. Uh, and so the ability now of the Department of Justice, the FBI, the ATF, to actually target gun trafficking uh, should begin to result uh, in safer communities uh, in places like Colorado and beyond. But we know that much more, of course, needs to happen. In a country where we have 4% of the world's population, four, but more than 40% of the world's guns. And we believe that means there are probably about 400 million guns circulating throughout this country. And law enforcement folks, community folks, cannot tell you where most of those guns are because of our inability for law enforcement to really have the visibility necessary uh, to keep us safe. So um, this is an existential moment. We, you know, I, I didn't realize uh, how much I would be using the word existential over the last couple of years. Democracy existential, reproductive freedom existential, race relations existential, gun violence. Uh, existential, but we've all been called upon to serve in different capacities uh, for such a time as this. And uh, we got diabolical intensity on the other side. I say to folks back in Washington, we have to be prepared to match and exceed that diabolical intensity with righteous intensity. And as long as we, as long as we can continue, and this inspires us, can continue to show up uh, and stand up and speak up for what is right in America as it relates to dealing with the gun violence crisis, then I'm confident that at the end of the day, we will find the will to end the gun violence epidemic in the United States of America. And thank you for your work in that regard. I know we're closing, but I have to say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this as NAACP because the gun violence is an issue across the country. When you mention L.A. Um, and Kim Council, Brooklyn, that's my ace. So I, I have roots across the country. But when we talk about the bloodiest summer of Philadelphia, when we talk about the bloodiest summer of Chicago, I mean, this isn't just a Colorado issue, Congressman. And I, and, and I would be remiss in not talking about it because it's what we talk about. It was just in Boston with the National Convention. And if we have the speaker here... Uh, Congressman Jeffries, this is something I need also you, Congressman Nagoose, to lean in because it's an issue for those of us who have family members across the country who are getting killed. And I, and I say that because I am, I lost three uncles, especially one was executed at 18 in, as, at George because of gun violence. It's not something that we talk about, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, re, it's resurging. That's the issue we have right now. It is resurging. And for me to constantly talk to families that have just lost their child, knowing how my family, my mother, my grandmother, and what they went through when she lost her children, when my, my mother lost her brother, it's, it's, it's not isolated here. So I wanted to mention that because I know um, Congressman Jeffries is here, but I want you to also lean into this issue too. 
the panelists. Can we thank the panelists? Can we thank the panelists? Congressman Nagoose. Thank you. And Leader Jeffries. That's it for tonight's Hemispheres. You've been listening to a panel discussion that took place yesterday at CU Boulder's Renee Crown Wellness Center.